I'll be reading from John chapter 17, John 17, starting at verse 20. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I've given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you've loved me. Father, I want those you've given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you've sent me. I've made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We've been looking at a prayer that Jesus prayed for his followers in John chapter 17 as a way of exploring different aspects of the Christian life that we really want to see emphasized in our church. At the beginning of this prayer, Jesus, he talks about the supreme importance of knowing God in a personal relationship through faith in his son. In verse three, he says, now this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. And and one of the things that we want to be is we want to be a church in which every one of us knows God through through faith in Christ. And, And a church where all of us are growing in our knowledge of God through our interaction with God's Word. So first, we want to be a church where we know God. Then, last week we saw that in this prayer, Jesus focuses on the importance of living for God's glory in the midst of a world that in many ways is opposed to God's kingdom. He he prayed for his followers that we would be sanctified. In other words, that in this world we would be set apart as sacred for the purposes of the Father. So we want to be a church where we know God. We want to be a church where we live for Christ, and today I want to talk about this. We want to be a church where we truly love each other. The the love that Christians have for one another is is a dominant theme in this final portion of Jesus' prayer. He, He prays for his followers, verse 21, that they may be one. Verse 22, that they may be one. Verse 23, that they may be brought to complete unity. Verse 26, that the love you, Father, the love, Father, that you have for me may be in them and I myself may be in them. So Christ here, he's praying again and again that, that we would love each other and he's praying for the unity of his church. So I want to talk about Christian unity, and I'll, I'll approach it from th- three angles. First, I want to talk about the nature of Christian unity. In other words, what it is, what this unity is. Th- then I want to talk about the importance of Christian unity, why this matters. And, and then I'd like to talk about the source of Christian unity, where, where it comes from. So we'll start with the nature of our unity. Jesus says here, and this, is, this just blows our mind, he says here that in a certain sense, The unity that he desires to see among his followers is a unity that is to parallel the unity that exists between the Father 
and the Son. Uh, beginning of verse 21, he prays that all of them may be one Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. Verse 22, he says, I've given them the glory you gave me that they may be one as we are one. So, so in, in some sense, the unity that Christ it, it longs to see among, among believers is, is modeled after the unity that exists within the Godhead, within the Trinity. Now, what does that mean? Well, one thing this means is that for us to be united, we don't all have to be the same. You, unity is not the same as uniformity. When you study what the Bible teaches about the Trinity, the Bible says that there is one and only one God who from all eternity has existed as three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. They are perfectly one. They're the the same in substance. They're equal in power and glory. They're one, and yet they are distinct persons. The Father is not the Son. The Son is not the Father. The Father and the Son are distinct from the Spirit. So they're, they're one in essence, yet they are different. They're, they are distinct in personhood. Now, in, in, in a way that, that parallels that, um, we can be united as Christians, right? We can be united without all of us having to be the same. We don't have to look the same. We don't have to think the same. We don't all have to enjoy the same kind of music or, you know, vote for the same candidate. Unity is not the same as uniformity. And, and this is something that um, the early church sometimes struggled to, uh, to remember. You, you may know that Jesus and the apostles were all Jewish men. Um, the, the first Christians, all of them were, were Jewish men and women. Um, so the church originally was, was Jewish, but as the gospel spread, uh, more and more people from different ethnic backgrounds, more and more Gentiles, came into the church. And, and, and this fact was something that the Jewish believers rejoiced in. They were, they were thrilled to see these people from, from other nations coming in, into the church. In fact, in Acts chapter 11, verse 18, when the very first Gentiles came to Christ, it says that the Jewish believers, it says they praised God saying, even to the Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. So they, they rejoiced in this. The, the Gentiles were welcome into the church. But some of those early Christians, they said, um, okay, the Gentiles, are wel- they're welcome in our church as long as they change, as long as they, they become like us. They act like Jewish people. As long as, you know, the men get circumcised and the, the women start cooking kosher food and they all start to practice the holidays that we like to follow. So, so the, the, the temptation that they faced in the early church was to replace Christian unity with uh, what was really just a shallow conformity, a kind of assimilation, just saying, you know, we, we welcome people from backgrounds who are different than ours as long as they act like us. Now, I, I think it's safe to say that we're going to face the same temptation in, in our day and age. In fact, it might even be a, a much stronger temptation for us. You, you and I, we live in a culture that places a very high value on diversity. You, you will get brownie points with your colleagues or your neighbors if you can tell them that you go to an ethnically diverse church. You know, you get patted on the back for that. And, and so the temptation we'll face is this, this temptation to welcome people who might be different from us, but, but not to welcome them as, 
as members of the family who have a, a seat at the table, who have a voice in the conversation. But to welcome them merely as just kind of, you know, st stage props in the photo op that will make us look like we're woke. You know, we, we might, in other words, we might want diversity as long as they, you know, they, they sing the way we do, they pray the way we do, they worship the way we do, they think the way we do. But listen, that's not real unity. That, that, that's merely uniformity. Christian unity is not, it's not like that. All right, so then what is it? Well, Jesus answers that question in verse 26. What, what, what is Christian unity? Well, he tells us. It's love. He, he says to the Father, I have made you known to them, to my followers, and I will continue to make you known. Why? In order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. He's saying, Father, the, the reason I am making you known to my people is so that your love will fill them. So in order for uh, Christ's followers to, to become united in the way that he desires, he is praying that, that we will be filled with God's love. Now, what does that mean? Here's some definitions from, from Scripture. First, uh, 1 Corinthians 13 says this. It says, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Philippians 2 says, says this. It says as Christians, we, we, this, this should be our aim. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you looking to the interests of of others. So, so the, the, the kind of unity is not that we all have to be the same, we all have to act the same, we all have to think the same. No, how boring would that be? No, the, the, the kind of unity Christ is calling us to is, is a, a, a unity that accepts differences in others and yet expresses itself through love. Just, just dream and pray. Think about what, what would our church look like? What would ACC look like if we see that kind of love growing among us? So that's the nature of Christian unity. Now, now let me talk about <clears throat> the importance of, of unity. Why, why does it really matter whether or not we're united? Why does it matter? Well, Jesus says here that love and acceptance and unity between his followers is crucial to the fulfillment of God's redemptive mission to this world. Look what he says, verse 21. He says, um, he, says, may, he says, may they be brought to unity that the world may believe that you sent me. Verse 23, I in them, you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you loved me. So he, he's, he's saying here that when, when Christians are united in love for each other, what, what, what this does is that it testifies to the world that the good news about Jesus is real. 
You see, when, when, when people see that uh, we forgive others in the church who might have hurt us, they, they, believe, they believe us when we tell them that we have received forgiveness from God. When, when, when people see that we accept each other, even though we might be different, they, then they believe us when we tell them that God has truly accepted us. When, when people see Christians sacrificing their time and their money and their energy to serve others in the body of Christ, they believe us when we tell them that we are living for a kingdom that's not of this world. When, when, Christians, when people see Christians love each other, they believe us when we tell them that we have been loved by God. A few years ago, my wife and I visited a church in uh, North the northern part of Mexico is a church of about 100 people. And uh, when we got to the worship service, they, they, the service had already began. The praise band was up front. People were singing. So they ushered us in, into our seat. And I, I glanced over my shoulder, and at the very back wall of the church was a man sitting in a wheelchair. And in front of him, there was a woman kneeling on the floor with, with some kind of a, a plastic bucket, and she was, she was washing this man's feet kept glancing back at her. She, she washed his feet and then she dried them with a, a towel and then she put on his socks and she put on his shoes and tied his shoes for him. And at first I thought it was some, I don't know, some kind of foot washing ceremony. It was strange that they would have it at the back of the room like that. And um, when they asked someone about this, they explained to me it was not, this was not a ceremony. Uh, they explained to me that this was a, this was a, a, a man who had been poisoned by toxins and he was very very sick in fact he was in constant pain and the only thing that would give him any relief enough relief so he could he could make it through a worship service was for somebody to wash his feet um i said well you know what do you mean he was poisoned well um apparently there was a this very poor family they lived in a poor neighborhood and some illegal dumping of industrial waste had happened right next to their home. And the toxins from this, this waste had contaminated everyone in the household. The mother, the mother had already died. The father was close to death. And they had two little girls who both had also been contaminated by these, these chemicals. And um, it, was, it was known to everyone that uh, these girls would probably not live out uh, their whole childhood. They were both starting to get sick and they would uh, die within a few years. And, and the father, of course, was too sick to care for his daughters. And so both of these little girls had been adopted by families in that congregation. They, they were loving them, they were caring for them, they were raising them as, as if they were their own daughters, just knowing that their hearts were going to be broken, that just knowing that all the love they were investing into these, these, these cute little girls would, would probably end in just a few years, barring a miracle from God, would probably end in a cemetery. They, they, they loved this family that way. Well, I was the one who was assigned to preach at that church um, on that particular morning, and, and I, I think I can tell you without any kind of boasting that my sermon that day, it was one of the most powerful sermons I've ever preached in my life. And what made that sermon powerful was not that it was some kind of great exposition of scripture, it wasn't, and it's not because I did some kind of stellar job as an orator, I didn't, all right? What made the sermon powerful was what was happening in the congregation. 
<laughs> you, you don't have to be a great preacher to preach well in a, in a context like that. When you, when you declare the gospel in a context where that kind of love is taking place among people, you, you, I mean, you just can't help it. Your message is going to be dynamic and clear. The, the love of the congregation was communicating just what Jesus says here, that the Father had sent him into the world, that the Father loved them as his own children. Their love was preaching this message to the world. One uh, Bible commentator on uh, this chapter in John, John chapter 17, he says this about uh, Jesus' prayer. He says, a local church, uh, a group of Christians who are so knit together in the love of God that others can say of them, look how they love each other is a church where the gospel will be the power of God for salvation. He, he writes, evangelism is a community act. The, the preacher is only the spokesperson of the community. The gospel is proclaimed from the pulpit. The gospel that is proclaimed from the pulpit is either confirmed and hence immeasurably enhanced, or it is contradicted and hence immeasurably weakened by the quality of the relationships in the pews. So, why is Christian unity so important? Well, Jesus says, Father, I want them to be brought to complete unity. He says, then, then the world will know that you sent me. So, so the nature of, of Christian unity is love, all right? Love even for people who might be very different than us. The, the importance of, of Christian unity is that it, it's crucial for fulfilling God's redemptive mission to the world. It shows the world the truth of the gospel. Now, finally, let me talk about the source of uh, Christian unity. Where, where does this kind of unity come from? Well, Jesus says here, this kind of unity, it's not something that we create. It's not something that we fabricate, that we have to somehow make happen. He says, no, this unity, it comes from our relationship with God through Christ. Verse 20, let me read again. My prayer, he says, is not for them alone. I also pray for those who will believe in me through their message. Verse 21, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. Verse 22, I've given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one. Verse 23, I in them. I in them. And you in me. So that they may be brought to complete unity. What, what, listen, what makes us one as believers is not that we all hold the same political convictions, all right? And, and, and it's not that we all come from the same cultural background, all right? It's, it, it's not that, we, you know, we all have the same temperament, the same type of personality. We, we, we don't have those things in common. What makes us one as Christians is the fact that each, each one of us at one time was a, was a lost sheep wandering from the shepherd, and he came, and he found us, and he rescued us, and he brought us home. In other words, what, what makes us one is the fact that we all belong to Jesus. This is what we're talking about when we recite the Apostles' Creed and we say, I believe in the communion of the saints. You ever ask yourself, what does that mean? Well, what that means is we're saying, I believe that whenever I meet anyone in this world who has faith in Jesus as their Savior, I am meeting my brother, I am meeting my sister, I am meeting a member of my family 
because just as I do, they belong to Jesus. What what we have in common is Jesus. That the source of our unity is the fact that we are His. There's a there's a park in uh, the neighborhood that I live close to. It's Rainy Park. Uh, you you may know where that is. It's uh, just along the East River, just south of of Costco. And I love Rainy Park. It's it's it, probably the only park around here where they allow barbecues. So in in the summer on the weekends, Rainy Park is just packed with people. It's, I call it the Where's Waldo Park. It's like one of those old Where's Waldo pictures. People everywhere, groups of people over here, groups of people over there. Even this summer in COVID, it was packed with people uh, on the weekends. And so because I live near that park, I, I'm often able to go over there and just kind of you know do some people watching, observe uh, the different kinds of groups that are there. And here's what I've observed in, in Rainy Park. Uh, sometimes, very often, you'll see groups gathered in that park um, where there are people in the group of all different age groups. The great diversity in terms of of age. There's there's senior citizens, there's little children, there's teenagers, there's middle-aged adults. They're, They're very diverse when it comes to age, but they're not diverse when it comes to ethnicity. They're all of the same ethnicity because it's, you know, it's a family, a family gathering. Maybe a Mexican family, a Pakistani family, you, you, a family of, of a different ethnicity. So they have great diversity in terms of age, zero diversity in terms of ethnicity. Now, there are other groups that you'll see in the park where they are very ethnically diverse um, but they're all the same age. And these are usually smaller groups, usually um, teenagers. I think they're often students from LIC High School that are over there in the park. And, and, and you know, they might, be, they might be a group of where there's a black kid and a Hispanic kid and an Asian kid and a white kid, very diverse ethnically. But they're all the same age. They don't, they don't, they don't want any adults with them. Then you'll find other groups where what they have in common is that they are all physically fit. They're all athletic. Maybe it's a soccer game or it's a it's a uh, you know a volleyball game. They, they, they might, might have, they don't care what ethnic background you're from. They might not even care how old you are. But to be part of that group, you have to be fit. You, you know, if you're a disabled person, that's not really the group for you. So th- these are the kinds of groups that I'll see in the park. Now, a few years ago, I was at Rainy Park. And I saw a group of people there that didn't fit any of those descriptions. They, they, they were people of all different age groups. There were seniors and there were children and there were teens and there were you know, young adults, all different age groups. And, and, and they were very diverse ethnically. Obviously, they weren't all from the same family. I mean, there were you know, whites and Latinos and Asians and African-Americans and... and and they weren't all athletes. I mean, some of them were looked fit, but others, you know, obviously weren't. So it was just that it was a kind of group that you don't normally see. You know who it was? It was us. It, it was ACC a few years ago when we, we gathered over there. And how much fun did we have that day? It was great where we put on the Easter egg hunt for, for, for the community. And, and, and listen... That's the kind of unity Christ is looking for. And, and it's, it's not the kind of, listen, it's not because we're striving to be diverse or striving to prove how politically correct we are. No, that kind of unity, listen, that kind of unity is created because we are in Christ, because we all belong to him. And because he, through the Holy Spirit and through the word, he's teaching us 
to love each other. So that's our prayer for our church. We want to be that more and more. We want to be a kind of community where genuine love through faith in Jesus unites us as family. So this is, this is what we're praying for our church. We want to be a church where we all know God. We want to be a church where we live for Christ. And we want to be a church where we love each other. And I believe, guys, I believe with God's help, with the power of the Spirit, He can do that among us beyond what we can dream. So would you pray with me? Father, I, I, I praise you for your plan and your power and your presence in your church. Not just your, your church all over the world, but your church here at ACC. You are at work even in the midst of COVID. You are working among us. And I pray that more and more you will fulfill in us the prayers that Jesus prayed for us. That we will really know you and grow in our relationship with you through your word. That we, that we will be unafraid to live lives of holiness, lives, lives of, of, of sanctity in the midst of this world. And I pray, Father, that by the power of your spirit, teach us, teach us truly to love and accept each other. And I pray this for the glory of Christ in his name. Amen.